What's up, everybody? This is Fred Rachani. We have right here via Zoom a very special guest. She is a best-selling author, a critically acclaimed author, the author of the award-winning Einstein in the Attic, available now where you get your books. We're talking to the author herself, Dana Dargos. Dana, thank you so much for the time. How's everything going? Hi, everyone. I'm great. You know, thank you for having me, Fred. Thank you for joining us uh, from the Bay Area, but of course, yep. by way of Libnan and this book is interesting. I don't want to give too much away, but critically acclaimed over the last year or so since it's been published. Cool name, Einstein in the Attic. And it is a book that kind of bridges the gap between science and religion. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So Einstein in the Attic, it's about a boy who grows up in the Lebanese civil era. And during that time, he experiences a lot of hardships, uh, sees a lot of things people shouldn't see. So he kind of uh, begins to question the notion of God. Uh, as any human being would. Um, and then, you know, flash forward a few years, he moves to America. He witnesses even more hardships, and that definitely pushes him away. And, you know, in a nutshell, basically, it causes him to wonder what if we were to zap the most intelligent minds of the universe into the present and ask them about the notion of God? Would they agree with it? Would they disagree with it? What would their opinions be on it? Uh, of course, that doesn't go all to plan. So then they are then thrust into a big worldwide scientific debate where either Adam, the main character, will lose everything or gain everything he needed in his life. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty succinct description. <laughs> and I love that. Now, how did, in terms of the concept itself, I'm assuming you've spent some time in Lebanon. You must have had a lot of different talks with family members and other people about religion. Religion and science are always interesting <laughs> topics for anybody, especially uh, the Lebanese. So was there kind of like an aha moment for you that were kind of the, the hamster wheel started spinning and you realized, OK, this could be a good story? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so me and my co-author, Saeed Al-Bizri, he's actually my uh, uncle. So uh, usually, you know, ever since 2015, about I always go to Lebanon in the summer, spend time with friends and family, uh, remind myself of the beauty of the culture that is there, of the country that is there, you know, basically read connect myself with the roots, with my roots over there. Uh, and then me and Saeed were pretty close, you know, so uh, every day we'd have a random topic. Sometimes it'd be pol about politics or movies or books or science or basically it's it, he'd talk about everything because Saeed's, he's amazing. He's like a walking and talking Wikipedia. You know, he knows everything about everything. So, uh, you know, one day our conversation, it was back in uh, 2015 when things at the time were pretty hectic, uh, you know, much less than now. But at the time, we thought they were pretty hectic <laughs> with the worldwide events going on. Uh, and I remember Saeed, he's all like, you know, uh, have you ever questioned the notion of God? Uh, not like your personal belief, but has it ever, you know, come to your head? Have you ever wondered about it? Uh, which is quite normal for, you know, all of these events going on. As a human being, of course, you would have some kind of doubt every now and then, even if you don't fully immerse yourself into it. And I told him, I'm like, you know, honestly, Saeed, I did have a struggle with it in high school um, for mainly reasons of people enforcing that kind of religion onto you and pushing you away uh, and for people kind of... Um, not necessarily being the best representations of it. So then I developed some kind of negative stimuli with it. Whenever I think religion, I'm like, oh God, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, since then, you know, my beliefs have definitely changed and I'm more connected to it. But back to the main story, uh, I told Saeed that, you know, ups and downs with it. And Saeed told me, he's like, you know what, when I was 18, I've kind of had, uh, you know, I've questioned it as well. Uh, and then 
you know, from there, we were kind of talking, we're like, science, like, I think one of us were like, okay, well, what if you like, you had the most intelligent beings um, answer your questions? And, you know, of course, there's intelligent beings, like, from a uh, faith perspective, where like, oh, if you were to zap prophets into <laughs> the main time period, or our modern time period, versus logical uh, perspectives, where, you know, uh, we would zap mainly just um not physicians, physicists, uh, scientists, basically everyone, uh, philosophers, everyone just, that just had a strictly logical perspective. Um, and then I told him like, okay, well, what do you think of Einstein? And then he's like, what do you think of like Spinoza? And I'm like, who's Spinoza? Cause I didn't know who that really was at the time. Um, and basically we had back and forth chatter until we came to the idea of we're like, okay, what if we have these four main philosophers uh, Einstein, Newton, Spinoza, and Kierkegaard with different backgrounds, different beliefs, different ways of thinking, ways of life, and lines of thought uh, come together. You know, what would they say? Uh, how would they answer the question? Would they even change their minds, etc.? So from there, we kind of started to work uh, on the story back and forth um, between Lebanon and uh, the States, you know, over WhatsApp mainly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so okay, so co-authored this book and different states different countries how difficult was that and was it was the book in your head and on paper and in in arabi was it written in english as a combination of the two like how'd that work i mean writing a book is hard enough but co-authoring it in different countries and in different languages is even harder definitely uh so it originally started in 2015 in summer uh we did not we I was going to say we created the main storyline in Lebanon, but that was actually a few years later because at first we tried to communicate back and forth between Lebanon and America, but then honestly it got put on hold because I had to go to university. I was super busy and I'm like, okay, I can't focus and keep breaking that focus every now and then or else I just can't work on it. Um, so fast forward to after I graduated Berkeley, uh, a little bit after that, that's when COVID hit. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, I want to backtrack. So before COVID, I think around 2017, 2018, when I visited Lebanon again, uh, that's when we solidified a, uh, eight sequence, um, story for our story. You know, we wrote down the main points. We're like, okay, what do you think of this sequence? Sequence A, uh, what's the initiating incident sequence, uh, or sequence two, uh, who are the main characters or subplot characters are being introduced. Uh, and so on and so forth. You know, what are the subplots we want to bring in? What's the symbolism? What's the themes? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but there are very general points. Um, so then when I went back, uh, when COVID hit, uh, that's when I really decided, I'm like, okay, well, I can work from home. I have this free time. Uh, I can, you know, let's, I'm not probably never going to have this again. How would I utilize it? And, uh, you know, take advantage of it. <laughs> um, so that's when we began to write down all of the details. We were constant, in constant contact, pretty much every single day, phone calls, text messages, that kind of jazz. But I would say that definitely having the main storyline, um, working on it together in person, that, that was the ultimate uh, point that helped us, you know, kick into action. Does Saeed or yourself have a writing background or was this just kind of a, a germative idea you had in the back of your mind for a long time? Yeah. Um, so for me, I've always been a writer ever since I was basically five. <laughs> and I know that shouldn't be taken seriously, but no, um, I always had a hobby for writing. I always loved writing. 
Uh, and then in high school, uh, that's when I want, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I definitely want to be some kind of writer. I want to do, I want to become an author. I didn't know if that would be my main career yet or a side gig, but becoming an author was always, uh, one of my top aspirations. Uh, and then in college, that's when I pursued an English degree. You know, I still wanted to be an author, but I wasn't sure like what would be my daytime job, what kind of writing job would be my daytime job. But nevertheless, um, you know, I think I've I've been lucky enough to always have had a joy for writing ever since I was little. And over the years, I constantly improved myself. Uh, with Said, he's always enjoyed writing as well, uh, to a lesser extent. But I think his strength is that he is very big on science and philosophy, you know? So he's taken a lot of classes. He loves to research different topics in his uh, spare time. Um, he basically creates arguments that are bulletproof. <laughs> so no one can topple them. That's his strength, definitely. <laughs> but then comes the other difficult part, which is publishing it, getting yeah. distribution. So as an independent author, as independent authors, did you find that difficult at all? Did you already have kind of somebody you knew in, in the industry? How did that all come about? We had to do everything from scratch, you know. Uh, we didn't have any connections. We didn't know anyone who was like an author or writer or basically had any connections to the industry. So we had to do our own research. Um, and that involved, you know, figuring out, okay, do we submit um, directly to publishers or to agents? And we found out that, okay, first of all, we had to create query letters, submit those to agents, uh, or even uh, a bit of independent publishers that were willing to take it on. Uh, and that process took about a year because when I first researched it, it said, okay, pitch 20 letters to 20 people every two weeks. So that would take time. Uh, and then in total, we ended up pitching about 250 people before we finally found someone willing to represent us. Yeah. So it, it was a very lengthy process, um, especially since, you know, one uh, back in like the 90s, or early 2000s, uh, a lot of agents are were more willing to take on unique ideas uh, and people who were first time authors. But now it's more about like, OK, uh, who is a published author who has a lot of accomplishments already, uh, who is most likely to generate us a lot of profit. You know, to be honest, the, a lot of um, agents and publishers nowadays, a lot of them are looking for people who will generate the money. <laughs> I'm gonna be blunt, you know, so a lot less are willing to take on uh, unique indie ideas. So when a, a book like ours comes up, where it's like about faith and science, and it seems like super um, very intense and dramatic and whatnot, I'm, understandably, a lot of people shied away from it, you know? Um, but even then I would be very, we would be very persistent and we'd explain, okay, yeah, it's got this dramatic philosophical theme, but it's also got elements of comedy, elements of romance, adventure. It has, um, a lot of relatability. It re explores a lot of themes of, for example, um, emotion, trauma, war, uh, you know, it's a coming of age story in essence. So uh, there's a lot of relatable things, but also it's written in a way that's entertaining and digestible. So it's not like it open it doesn't open up like a science textbook where it's like, okay, this theory, theory number one, Darwin's um, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution. Oh, well, here's what Einstein thinks. Refer to like the appendix. It's it's not like that. It's written like a story. Um so I remember a lot of reviewers, first time reviewer, or not first time, but basically the early reviewers, they said that like, hey, you know, science isn't our thing, but we're willing to read it. 
And after they read it, a lot of reviewers are like, you know, science fiction isn't our thing, but this book made it our thing. You know, we were, we were willing to bend our rules for this book because it's so interesting. It's so unique. It's definitely one of a kind, especially after um, a lot of books on like TikTok, for example, are just like, you know, nothing wrong with them. But like a lot of books are like YA, romance, enemies to lovers, tropes. And it's like all of that cliche stuff, which is great. But it's like, you know, I felt we wanted to explore something different. Amazing. And hey, you've certainly carved your niche, won a number of awards. Congratulations on all that and everything. So I got to ask for people that have read it or are interested in reading it. Could there be a sequel or, or prequel down the road? And have you looked into either adapting this for film, TV, or animation? Yes. So for a sequel, me and Side discussed that. And we we're like, we would never create a sequel purely for fan service. You know, we would create one a sequel if we had the best idea for it. And we're like, okay, we have to pursue this. Um, so never say never. We don't have anything in the works um, for a sequel right now. But like, if we ever get like the perfect idea, we would definitely pursue it. Uh, and in regards to film and animation, uh, we definitely, you know, we hope that one day it becomes a film. Uh, we're currently represented by a film agent and he's going around pitching it to different uh, agencies and individuals he knows. So if shout out, if anyone knows anyone, please let us know. We are definitely happy to have a chat with you guys. Excellent. Well, certainly looking forward to that. And of course, everybody can check out Einstein in the Attic on Amazon and wherever books are sold. They can find more info on your website, danadargos.com. We always like to ask our guests some random and rapid fire questions <laughs> just to get to know them better. Are you ready, Dana? I'm ready. All right. Favorite spot in Lebanon? Oh, man. <laughs> See, if, if I say say that, my mom's side will go, woohoo. But then if my dad's side will be like, well, why don't you like Beirut? But then if I go Beirut, um, can I have two answers? Yes, you can have, you can have two. <laughs> say then Beirut. Say that for the family, Beirut for the outings and family. <laughs> Amazing. And, and if we're going to both places, if there, is there like a specific spot for each one? Like maybe like a hidden gem for any tourists? Oh, God. Um, say that there's actually a lot of interesting hidden gems, you know, uh, definitely the Sidon castle. That's something you have to explore, not necessarily a hidden gem, but definitely still worth exploring. Uh, plus the suit, you know, you can never go wrong with this, visiting the suit, uh, for Beirut. Uh, I need to do more exploring of that on my own, to be <laughs> honest, because I just go to the mainstream places. Um, if I do go down there, <laughs> Favorite Lebanese dish? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the stereotypical mishui in the restaurants with um, uh, the boule. You can never go wrong with that. That's always a favorite. You know, sometimes, sometimes with food, my mood, will my mood will depend on it. Like one day I'll like something, one day I won't, but I'll never not like that, that dish. Serve that, um, especially homemade ones. So how many languages do you speak? Two, English and Arabic. Okay, okay, yeah. cool, cool. Now, from what I understand, too, based on what I saw on your website, you're also into cosplay. So who is your favorite <laughs> yeah. superhero and what's your best cosplay? Oh, man. Let's see. My it's She wasn't a superhero, per se, but uh, I loved cosplaying Celine from Underworld. You know, mm -hmm. such a badass character uh, with her black long cape and the cute little prop guns I had and everything. I actually got to cosplay that in Tahoe. So it definitely went with the vibes. It was pretty dark. There was snow. It was freezing. And me and my sister were on the constant lookout, like making sure a bear wasn't going to come behind us or like wolves 
or something. Because <laughs> that does happen. And Tahoe, you know, sometimes bears will come out because they're not really afraid of people. But I mean, you just wave them off and they run off. But you get, you get my gist. <laughs> All-time favorite author and favorite book? Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, ever since high school. Because, you know, for, when I first read it, I'm just like, wow, this uh, amazing woman knows how to word emotions in a way that I don't. She knows how to explain every single feeling and sensation in words that you would never imagine before. And she's also great at, character, at creating characters. You know, with Jane Eyre, uh, she, I found her super relatable. I found her very inspirational with her struggle of, you know, her inner self and her own values and uh, versus attaining happiness that she's always wanted for years, you know, and she struggles the two. And it's relatable, but ultimately inspiring. You know, it's written in a way that's also realistic. Um, so that that resonated with me ever since high school. Uh, shout out to Mr. Mojedadi who gave us that book in high school. Um, without him, I probably wouldn't have read it, to be honest. Shout out to him. Hey, yeah, great, great teacher did a, a great <laughs> job there. And you're doing a great job, not just being a writer, but based on what, what I've read about you. You've also been a speech writer. And also, maybe most importantly, you're a pet mom. So I got to ask you, <laughs> what's harder, being a pet mom for a rabbit or a dog? There's no harder aspect per se but they're both different in their own in their own ways so with dogs they need more attention uh you know they need a lot of love so you definitely got to make time for that uh if you're a busy person but you know they, they'll always love you no matter what <laughs> so that's a nice thing to have um you can definitely feel the love with them uh with rabbits they're also sweet but they're a bit more aloof you know, for Fufi, she'll run up to me only if she wants snacks, to be honest. <laughs> so she's she's a bit more of an opportunist. No, but honestly, she does run up to me uh, even with, without snacks. Um, but then you also have to be more careful of their health issues. Since they're smaller creatures, they're more sensitive. You have to make sure uh, everything is perfect with them. If they have even like a tiny uh, hint of something that's a bit off, it's better to get it checked out. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, very cool. You do a little bit of everything. I, I can respect that. You also have done a lot of activism, not just advocating, yes. of course, for uh, people in, in Palestine, but Definitely. all throughout Lebanon. And from what I understand, uh, from what I saw a while ago, you also had a, a program, an organization where you're helping Lebanese people get jobs. So I'd love to give you an opportunity yeah. to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so activism, firstly, it's extremely important to me. Uh, you know, when, unfor when unfortunately the, I'm going to call it a genocide because that's what it is. When the genocide in uh, Palestine started really amping up in October, uh, a lot of people were or mainly influencers and people with big platforms kind of shied away from that um, because they were worried about losing followers, about getting canceled. But for me, it was more of uh, a guilty conscience. You know, I'm just like, okay, I could ignore this issue and just po post about it on my private account and not post about it on my public. But then it's like, I tried imagining just going out on about my day, just posting regular day things on my public account, regular author things, regular, oh, you know, going out, smiling, happy quotes. But I'm like, I can't do that. You know, I just can't. I feel like as a human being, all of us have a responsibility to stick up for other human beings. You know, it's, you know, being an activist, it's important, like I've said. Uh, it's also definitely challenging. So, for example, when I started 
or not started, but when I really rose my voice um, up against the issue and I started uh, resharing posts and quoting things and whatnot, especially on threads, uh, I was getting a lot of hate for it, you know, a lot of abusive messages. And other times were like, yeah, you know, excuse my language, but like, yeah, go get by Hamas or something like that. Or, yeah, you know, you can't even uh, speak up in Lebanon. So, or, oh, if you went to Lebanon, they'd behead you. I'm like, where did these, <laughs> where did these ignorant comments come from? And, um, you know, and to take it a step further, on Amazon, people were leaving so much, so many spam reviews, so many hateful comments. But, you know, you've, you learn how to give yourself some compassion, some self-care. So some days I won't pay attention too much to the comments. I'll take a day to myself to breathe, recharge myself, and then I'll go back in for the fight. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, cause what, can, what else can you do? You know, you, I, I can't abandon, uh, activism, but then I can't also just fully immerse myself in it because as human beings, we need room to recharge. We need to give ourselves energy in order to be, to continue to be passionate about, uh, those causes, you know, as, as human beings, we're bound to run out of energy. But I feel like as long as you're able to jump back into it, then then you're good to go. For sure. I appreciate all those details. I'm sorry you had to go through all that online harassment. That's just that's just uh, awful. And yeah. yeah, it's yeah. What can you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I, I did want to also highlight, too, as I mentioned before, you have also helped the Lebanese people get jobs as well. And and and, yeah. and from what I understand too, the, the economic situation has just been terrible there over the years, especially with the, if we think we have inflation here in the States, it's like on steroids and in, in oh, yeah. So can you just yeah. talk a little bit about the amazing work you've done with the, with your team to help uh, Lebanese people get jobs during these dire economic times? Sure. Um, so, you know, it, it definitely wasn't my team. I was like a small member of the, uh, of helping the committee, to be honest, you know, I'm not going to, take their credit. But I remember uh, when they first launched, you know, they were coming out with a lot of videos, a lot of marketing about uh, Jobs for Lebanon. So basically Jobs for Lebanon, it's a website where in order to help uh, Lebanese people in, the, in, that dire, in those dire circumstances and situations, uh, if they had any jobs they heard about or if they had any jobs uh, they were in charge of or companies they're in charge of that needed to hire someone uh, for jobs on Lebanon or for jobs for Lebanon, uh, they would post those jobs online. So, for example, uh, let's say you needed an assistant, which I did. Uh, you know, you go on to Jobs for Lebanon. You create the job profile for the job that you need. You say, okay, job job needed, virtual assistant requirements, uh, points A, B, and C, um, pay, how long the project is for or, for, or if it's permanent, et cetera. And then from there, um, a lot of applicants will will obviously apply for that job, mainly from Lebanon. Uh, and basically that really helps uh, people receive an income. It helps them receive uh, incomes, especially in a time where people are struggling to get food, shelter, water, electricity in Lebanon, especially with the insane inflation uh, going on over there. I think I forgot the exact percentage, but I think it was like three, you know, inflation has soared by like, was it 300% or 900%? I, it, it's an insane number. And I know those two numbers are completely different, but regardless, it's insane. You know, um, people are struggling to survive. People are pulling their children out of schools because they can't afford it anymore. Uh, the elderly can't afford their own medications anymore, even with insurance. So they have to skip out on that. 
um, you know, even hospitals, sometimes they're running out of medical supplies because they simply can't afford uh, those supplies. They can't afford to import them. They can't afford to pay for them. They can't even afford the electricity sometimes. Uh, so thing, you know, things in Lebanon are really, really, really disappointing and horrifying. Um, but back to Jobs for Lebanon, what this does is that it helps provide people who are struggling over there with jobs to, with an income to help their families, to help themselves, and basically kind of help grab that pressure and pull it off of them, at least for a bit. You know, anything is helpful, to be honest. Um, even I used it, you know, for uh, when I needed an assistant uh, twice, I hired two people off of there, which was great. And they're just amazing individuals. Uh, a lot of the applicants, you know, I don't want to break, but a lot of Lebanese applicants that apply, they're all amazing. You know, they have they have such good worth ethic. They have great experience. They're very driven, very hardworking. So it's definitely worth a shot to hire people from there or at least give them a chance, you know, um, because they have, you know, there's so many talented Lebanese individuals that because of their circumstances aren't given a chance to work or to make something of themselves. And this helps give them that chance in a way. It at least, you know, if it, if it isn't uh, the income that magically saves them, at least it's experience for them, at least perhaps it'll open gateways for them. You know, you never know. Um, the people that post jobs there, maybe they will enjoy that person that's worked with them. And maybe they'll say, hey, you know, I have this other job opening at my company that's actually permanent. Would you like to work remotely? Would you like to move here? Or like, hey, you know, it's experience on the resume. So. Um, especially for university students who are struggling with that aspect where uh, either they will have to pull out because they can't afford uh, their university tuition fees or, you know, they're stuck in Lebanon because they can't travel and they're trying to apply to other places. But a lot of companies won't take them because of that limited experiences, uh, that limited job experience. This, uh, this at least helps them in a way, you know. So it's not a huge thing. But it definitely helps. And I highly recommend anyone who has any jobs and is looking for people to hire to go on Jobs for Lebanon or at least utilize it. Amazing. Much respect to you for raising awareness for that cause and for all the all the people involved. Yeah, absolutely. People can definitely check that out. We will link that in the show notes. We'll get you on another high note. What's the best piece of advice you give for success? Uh, it's so cliche, but never give up. <laughs> you know, uh, there will be a lot of moments of failure, but even then, I don't think of that as mo those moments as failure. I think of them more as uh, annoying flies that get in your way. You just got to swap them out of your face and be very persistent and driven and keep going down that straight path. Um, you know, because a, a lot of things have definitely not gone my way, not gone my way, or there's things with the, my writing that, you know, I would have wanted to go a different route that didn't. But in my mind, you know, I don't dwell on those failures. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. And then I just keep moving forward. You know, I don't, I minimize, I guess that's a good word. I minimize those obstacles and I don't maximize them that I become so immersed and dwell on, um, on those obstacles and allow them to drag my spirits down. You know, sometimes you got to minimize things so that you can continue to adventure forth. Very well said. And lastly, if people haven't already been convinced already, why should people read Einstein in the Attic? Because it is a one-of-a-kind story that is definitely bound to resonate with you. It's got a an ethnic character as the main character, which you don't see too much. 
uh, and it explores a lot of themes that people are that are considered to be taboo in many cultures still. So it's definitely got a lot of things you are probably thinking about, but too afraid to question. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dana, thank you so much for your time. Before we let you go, bonus question. Yeah. Is there anything you wish I asked you in this interview? Probably like, uh, you know, how to, I guess, how to help spread awareness of my career as a writer and uh, how can people help me out? And the answer to that is to basically please give our book a chance, uh, spread posts about me and about our book. And also, you know, basically spread awareness about my writing. Give us a chance. I mean, I know we've won a lot of awards, but we'd love to connect with more of the Lebanese community, with other immigrant communities as well. And I feel like all it takes is for people to give that writer a chance. You won't be disappointed. Absolutely. We definitely won't be disappointed. We were not disappointed with this interview. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Like of course. That. Of course, you can find Einstein in the Attic on Amazon and wherever books are sold, as well as Born Info on Dana on danadargos.com. We'll link all that in the show notes. Anywhere else that we can find you online and find you next, maybe at an event? Yeah, you know, I'm available pretty much everywhere on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, so all five of those channels. Uh, for events, let me think. Uh Nothing yet, but people have been urging me to apply for the Dubai Literary Festival. I think it's too late for that, but maybe next year. But otherwise, um, you know, that Einstein the Attic is definitely not the end of me. Uh, I definitely have more writing in mind. So please bear with me and stick with me and follow me on my social media adventures to see what's next.